pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Welcome back to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei Avkar. Join my faithful co-host, Zero Cool. Hello, hello. And hello to you out there. Thank you for joining us again for another episode. Our top story, the CSM elections are ongoing. In fact, as we're recording this, I believe there is less than 24 hours to go in the voting. We're going to find out the results in a couple weeks at FanFest. But in the meantime, we have all sorts of speculation to do. Always fun. Uh, we asked the audience, are they going to vote this year? One person bravely voted no in the poll instead of voting for CSM. Uh, but otherwise, everybody else seems to be in, which is great to see. Zero, have you voted? I did. Um, I voted on day one. I kind of already had an idea of who I was going to vote for this time beforehand. And I kind of put my ballot, personal ballots, um, in terms of who I thought was going to, I sort of picked five, right? And then I thought, right, well, who needs my vote the most? And I gave them number one slot. And I thought, well, if they don't get in, who who wants my vote after that? And it, I just went like that. Um, so I really sort of concentrated on the, the, the people that perhaps are not going to get, you know, as many votes as, as, as the most popular people. And then right at the very end, on my, like, number six, I put, you know, somebody who gets tons of votes anyway, and I really wanted them to get in. So I put them in, um, in case that all five or four of the other ones didn't. <laughs> so my vote didn't go to waste. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was uh, a bit of fun. I, I can't remember if I had to log into the website last year. I, I, for some reason, I thought, thought that, um. Yeah, you would have had to have logged into the site to log yeah. out. Like for some reason, I remembered some of this being in client, but anyway. Oh, that, that's the dream someday. Yeah, one mind. day, right. So obviously I've got this dream uh, that uh, I must have had between now and last year where I thought that uh, I voted in the client last time. They have done a pretty good job of promoting it this time. I saw in-game notifications. I saw Twitch streams. Uh, players have been making a lot of uh, posts and propaganda around it as well, but CCP has really gone... I'm, I don't know if it's above and beyond, but it's certainly, I think, the most committed they've been to turning out the vote aside from putting it in client this year. So it'll be interesting to see what that does for the voting numbers as proportional to the rest of the game. I have to believe with them putting this much work into it, it's going to be more than we've had last year. But, you know, I think more often the the vote is kind of driven by controversy. And I don't think we've had a big controversy this year. So there's really no telling. Yeah, and there's no wars going on, is there really? There's nothing. I mean, obviously, you've got the ongoing conflicts in the north and some stuff in the south. But there's nothing of real of real significance. You know, Reddit is quite a peaceful place these days. It's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, last year we had the whole uh, faction warfare rework. That was the big hype. The year before that, it was that we didn't have anything to get hype about. This year, CCP seems to have done a pretty good job at rebuilding that that player relationship, or at least making headway. There's still been some 
times when they've faltered, and in those occasions, players have been very quick to jump on them. But I think to their credit, they've managed to navigate those controversies relatively well, especially compared to previous. So I think we're seeing some some real evidence that's paying off now. This CSM will be an interesting one. They're not quite a wartime CSM, but I don't think people are ready for a peacetime. We can trust CCP. Let's all work within the process CSM either. That's my read of it anyway. It'd be interesting to see if we get a different kind of spread of of results this time. Uh, Last year felt quite predictable. I felt that uh, there weren't really many surprises, um, really. I mean, Mark Resurrectus came along and managed to get the vote for one aspect of the community, which is, you know, something that the the wormholders, as far as I know, didn't really have much representation prior to that. Uh, beyond perhaps one personality or two that I'm not aware of in the past. But I wonder if this this time we'll get a small ganger-type representative, the one that, uh, you know, Brisk's biggest fear, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, the thing with the wormholers, they always spread their votes out to several candidates, but there aren't enough wormholers to really get more than one candidate to last through, you know, all the various candidates being eliminated. They have to reach a minimum vote threshold. If they don't, the least number one vote-getting candidate gets eliminated and those votes get redistributed until a candidate does get over the threshold, which means you have to have enough support to be at the top of someone's ballot to like last through a couple eliminations to start getting those downstream votes. If you're, if you're splitting your votes between three different people, but you only have a community of 300 and the top vote getters are getting you know, picked number one in the thousands. You're going to be really low in the rung. One of the first candidates to be eliminated. And that's what we saw happen with a lot of the wormhole candidates in the previous two elections, aside from Mark, excuse me. The, so the elections before Mark, Mark has been the one that's been able to get enough top support to last long enough to get a lot of the bleed through and, you know, he, I think he's very good to his credit, whether you like his style or not. He's extremely good at getting people to like him. <laughs> yes. But, you know, that level of influence is very key when you're in a, a small constituency like that. So I think he's been remarkably effective at unifying the wormhole guys and also getting non-wormhole groups and, and CSM representatives to kind of listen to him and take his feedback very seriously and include him in discussions. So I think he's been really effective for them in that way. And who knew, right? The Marauders got nerfed. uh, And uh, this CSM is is an interesting one, I think. Is that what... I didn't think that Mark Rexrectus would be sort of the one, perhaps... I don't know if he was, but the one to really push that change. Well, it was uh, impacting Wormhole meta quite a bit. But it was also disrupting small gang meta across the entire game. So it wound up having fantastic effects for K-Space as well. And I think it really has. The Marauder nerf has worked out. Um, You still see them being used. They're still a top-end doctrine, but they're not as exclusive as they were. There's more counters. People are diversifying a little bit. Oh. 
Are there any candidates that surprised you on our panels, Zero? For me, Kale Kaderu really stood out. I hadn't really interacted with him much, in fact, at all, prior to him coming onto the show. But I thought he did a fantastic job and uh, definitely earned his way onto our ballot this year. Who stood out for you? I'd have to agree with you there, Alec. I think um, I did say the week prior, you know, would what, what would... Kyle Kaderu say uh, in our in any panel um, because it's that sort of small scale, mid scale, moving into larger scale that you know that group, Deepwater Hooligans, they do it all. Um, they do it all, and they move around the map to do it. Uh, I think the fact that he was so measured and um, considered in the things he was saying, it really well, it, it it didn't surprise me in the sense that you know I wasn't expecting that. It was just you know it it, would, it was going to go one of many ways and um that's the way it went he was very collected in his thoughts i was surprised about the passion that he expressed for faction warfare i deep water hooligans are a low sec based alliance and they do a lot of fighting in low sec but they're not actually a faction warfare alliance but he clearly had a genuine love for the system and its ecosystem and all the mechanics that go into it so that was also a pleasant surprise yeah, I, I didn't realize either that they had any real foot in the faction warfare space. And um, it was obvious that uh, at least he does. I mean, they're most well known for third partying. They're they're basically that area's version of snuff in terms yeah. of their, <laughs> their likelihood to hot drop anyone that's doing anything big. Hopefully the Deepwater fans don't drag me out of the streets for that comment, but it's true. Snuff is, is by far more oppressive and well-known and more difficult to fight against. But yeah, if, if you're getting third-partied by Deepwater, you're probably effed. So the effect is the same. We've got a contract update for you guys. We took a contract for a wormhole bash, the first one in quite a while. We had stopped taking them because we weren't able to get great numbers for them. But Recruitment's been up and activity's been up, so I figured now is as good a time as any to dip our toes back in there. It was a C1 wormhole. No fancy effects or anything, but that means we couldn't bring in any battleships. So we're looking at a battle cruiser doctrine. We pulled out our Harbingers, the most flexible battle cruiser doctrine that we've got. Sorry for that bump right there. <laughs> and uh, we... We just did our thing. We formed up. We started to get moving. What I didn't realize until our fleet was forming is that I was actually talking to both sides of this fight at the same time without even realizing it. I just didn't put it together that uh, that the that we're talking about the same structure, essentially, and the attacking side had paid well in advance from the defender side. And finally, the defender messaged me on Discord, and I forget exactly what he said to me, but he, he dropped, oh, it was the time. It's like, yeah, it's, his structure's coming out in an hour and 40 minutes. Can you guys make it? Because he hadn't given me a ton of information prior to that. And I was like, oh, that's really close to an op we already have. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I was like stopping myself from sending anything. Oh, shit. Uh... I just told him, sorry, I don't think we'll be able to help. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'll be able to help either, to be honest. 
And then as soon as we dropped onto the grid, I messaged him on Discord straight away. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you were talking about the same thing. These guys paid me like X hours ago. Uh, sorry, dude. Yeah. Which I felt bad. He seemed very, very nice. Uh, always, <laughs> always sucks to break somebody's heart like that, but he got most of his stuff out of there apparently. So he wasn't too, too upset about it. But yeah, wound up walking away with about a billion's worth of loot. No excitement. Uh, There's a stealth bomber that dropped in and tried to make a play during some of our salvage operations, but nothing came of it. And we managed to get a nice, easy payout. Um, I would say the highlight of the entire thing was our fleet participation numbers. Not only did we get great turnout in fleets in general, I think we had over 10 uh, characters in the fleet, but 25% of them were non-noir, so both of our partner corps were represented here, and they were represented in very key roles. We also had 25% returning players or new recruits into the fleet, which is nice. Uh, players that had been inactive for years and had come back, and one new person that we picked up who's working out pretty well so far. Shout Excellent. out to Tony. Very nice. Yeah. Always nice to have an easy one from time to time. Well, the wormhole ones, I mean, they're not always easy, right? Uh, a lot of dedication nope. sometimes just to get that one, one thing done. You know, hours of prep, hours of camping holes, hours of hole control, moving things in, handing from one time zone to another just for one shot at something. Yeah, a shot that's often third party, as we find yeah. out. Yeah. Nothing's more heartbreaking when you're you're halfway through the bash and there's a new wormhole spawn before you can close it. You get scouted and 15, 20 Nighthawks drop on you. Soul crushing. But it happens. It's part of the job. But uh, yeah, we're, we like wormhole space. was really happy to get that. We get a lot of requests for like Fortizar stuff, which is just a bit beyond us at the moment. Um, but wormhole defenses, we love wormhole hits. It seems like we can do the small ones again, which is always good news. And other than that, we're just chilling, still doing faction warfare stuff, waiting for the next big deployment, which, you know, these things can come any day. So as we get more contracts, we'll continue to bring you contract update content here on the show. Speaking of big deployments, there is one war ongoing that if you don't have your eyes on it, you should. The Southeastern Agreement. We've talked about it on the show a bunch of times. Basically a grand bargain by all of the major powers in NullSec to not directly influence the southeastern corner of the map. Basically leave some of those regions available for smaller alliances to go in and scrap it out without having to worry about the local superpower bullying them, having to make deals to protect themselves or not engage in that content at all because they're afraid. We're starting to see more of that play out. We've covered a couple conflicts on here between some of the local alliances. We have a new player in the game. Triumvirate has begun to assault the Southeast. Tri is an extremely well-known 
very old alliance that's gone through its ups and downs, complete fail cascades to rebuilding itself up to its glory days about five, six times now, at least. Uh, they are now currently sitting between four and five hundred players, characters anyway, and they are really pushing the local guys in the region, pushing them quite hard. Um, one of them has already broken. So, Tri hasn't actually taken the Sav yet but they're working on it. Um, Southern Star Syndicate, Slow Children at Play have been taking the brunt of it. Slow has evac'd, according to our source and try. Uh, there's also some other alliances that have been taking heavy losses, but they're not really... Um, it's not really known yet which way this is going to break, but some of these smaller alliances are already giving up the fight and evacuating which doesn't bode well for the alliances that are staying. So I'm hearing tales of um, time or hell. Is that is that fair, Alec? Perhaps uh, some of these groups down there have quite a number of structures that have been reft a lot recently. Yep. Um, the executive of slow, excuse me, the executor of slow posted that they had done the math on this and they were doing about three and a half hours of structured related form ups a day on average, which means it could be oh. more several days. I mean, this is the issue, right, of living in Sovno. Um, all groups that are, you know, not um, Pandemic Horde and and, and uh, Imperium have to kind of occasionally put up with this constant defense of different timers. I mean, unless you can get out in space and prevent people from refing your structures to begin with, which... You know, if your enemy is quite persistent, isn't an easy task, uh, then you're going to have to deal with timer after timer after timer. And on these uh, medium-sized structures, of course, each one of those is a kill timer. Yeah, it's, having been on the receiving end of that versus Psychotic Tendencies a couple months ago, or was it last year? I forget. <laughs> Time is kind of blurring. Uh, but yeah, it's it's incredibly exhausting. And we didn't even have that many structures compared to some of these NullSec groups. You can't, like, the attacker can decide when they want to attack, and they can just, boom, go do it. If they have a big enough fleet to properly pressure your structure, you could be looking at less than 30 minutes between them pinging it and you having to form up to fight it. If it's one of these smaller structures, you know, you're going to have to form a, a proper fleet to defend it. Just turning up with a handful of guys that happen to be in the system at the time is probably not going to get the job done. Especially against a group like Try, you know they're going to come organized with some pretty nice ships. You're going to have to come relatively equivalent, either in numbers or or heavier stuff. It's hard to do that day after day after day, and you repel them for your initial hit. Try an hour later, and then you have to do it all over again. You never know if they're going to come back or not. If they reinforce it, you never know if that's going to be the kill or not. So you have to form up, assuming that it will be. Do that for two weeks, people get sick of it. Absolutely. I mean, especially if they form and form to defend and form to defend and your opposition does nothing, right? I mean, there's nothing worse than forming four or five times in a row for nothing uh, because on the fifth time, that FC or that group of people are just going to be busy or they're just going to be like they could just built up a real lifetime debt and they need to go and pay that off. And uh, that's when the opposition strikes and uh, it's very demoralizing. 
Especially for if you're relying on blues, like a lot of these alliances will be. They'll be needing to cooperate with other alliances in their mini-coalition to try to defend their stuff. You know, you can't ask your your friends that show up four times when nothing is happening. Eventually, they're just going to let it let it go. So I don't know how what strategy Try is employing exactly how much blue balling they're doing versus turning up for kills. I know they've, they've brought down a couple Fortizars already. So they are definitely, you know, applying these kill timers. Yeah. It's just, I don't see a way out of it, like... The attacker has a tremendous advantage there, assuming they've got the numbers. If you don't have the numbers as the attacker, it can be really frustrating because you can't initiate some of these fights or really even hold the grid. But if you're able to field a 20 to 30 man fleet consistently, the world is your oyster. Yeah, you will catch them at some point. Um, of course, they usually say that the defender has the advantage, right? But as you say, Alec, it depends on your numbers. If you've got excellent numbers, your defender's advantage is well, it's going to be great. You can just sit there, you can tether up, you can just wait. Um, you can have everything ready, you can have everything locally. You can have several different types of doctrines you can switch into. All all great. But uh, if you're fighting against a group that's you know, going to be able to compete with you, numbers-wise, doctrine-wise, experience-wise, and actually defeat you on the battlefield, then, well, it's just a matter of waiting for the right moment to strike. I would say the defenders have the advantage in single fights, but attackers have the advantage in the campaign. If that makes mm. any sense. On yeah. any given Citadel grid, they do a pretty good job of assisting defender numbers. The way the timer works versus tie-die can be very advantageous. There's a limited window where the attacker has to commit, and they have to put some of their DPS into the structure to pause the timer. That's a collection of circumstances that gives you a lot of advantages the defender. But the attacker controls the time of the engagement and how many like hits it's happening. So if the attacker has enough DPS where they could reinforce a structure without it being a significant sink of their gameplay, say maybe it only takes them 30 minutes, 30 people, and then they can go do something else, you could get your structures hit every day, and they can decide whether or not they have to turn up. But you as the defender, unless you've got some kind of spy, You've got to assume they're going to turn up, so you need to form for that timer every single time. Drag that system out over enough time. Eventually, it just gets miserable. And for some of these smaller groups, probably just not worth it. Uh, a lot of people like the idea of Saab. Once you get out there into the reality of it, it's not always a moneymaker. You could be looking at these systems going, why, do we even, why are we even here? Yeah, gives you something to fight over, but I think one of the weaknesses of Solve is it's not something you can like have for a fortnight and and sort of make a bit of iskar of and then evacuate or move. Uh, it's something that's really you need to build up infrastructure. You need to build up a presence there. You know your ADMs, etc. Um, you have to pay some iskout to keep the Solve and to also upgrade your space. Maybe do some anti it's, it's all, you know, you're shelling out disc, right, to have all of these things. Um, and, yeah, the, the potential of making disc is there. You can definitely have a lot of fun out there. But it requires a lot of uh, actual organizational effort, right? I mean, even these, like, 
small gang groups that go out and take some space for a bit. They know how to, you know, coordinate all the moving parts. They they have the ability to <clears throat> bring ships in or, or produce certain things locally. Um, you know, they, they have the the overall uh, sort of skill points in the right places with the right people to get the whole job done as well. Uh, they're not just just uh, PvP people. Um, so yeah, I think I don't know how long um, these groups in the southeast will want to do this for. Um, some of them uh, might love it. You know, it's it's one of those things, right? I mean, Triumvirate—they had and held space before. Um, is this what they're trying to do? I, I think have they, have they got one system right now? Solve system, I think maybe they've got one system, but they've knocked over Sov and several others, and multiple, basically an entire constellation, give or take, of Slow's holdings are currently reinforced. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that number is going to climb pretty significantly. It'll be interesting to see. I think there's also an argument that some of these smaller groups might be a bit overextended. Well, if, if you're, you're in an alliance like Slow Children, you've got 600 members, 600 characters in your alliance. Do you need to be in three constellations over three regions, or excuse me, two regions? Yeah, and how many structures are they defending, right? I mean, how many right. structures do you actually need? How many forts lost? Three already? Well, let me look up that. If uh, So I see two down already. See, that's, that's a lot of forts for 500 characters, you know? Yeah, I People... mean, that's... People need to park their stuff. I, I get the Fortazars. You could have some Fortazars in your systems to make sure you could put your caps everywhere. I, I get that. But two Fortazars is not three and a half hours worth of timers, which tells me they have a number of smaller structures that have been getting pressured. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the Sav itself holds uh, uh, holds timers. So you have Basically, two timers per system there for the iHub and the TCU. Well, this is it, right? You could spend ages trying to defend a few Astra houses, and then next thing you know, one of your iHubs gets pinged, um, and then you split. What do we do now? You know, do we continue to defend these structures? Do we do we run over there and sort out this uh, iHub pinging? Um, it's it's frustrating. And it's a, a pretty, I don't want to say it's an even fight, but it's a close to even fight, just in terms of the numbers of the various assembled groups. If anything, I think Tri might be slightly outnumbered here, but they are a a very battle-tested PvP alliance, and they're working with other battle-tested PvP alliances against groups, which I'm going to guess, although I, I haven't worked with all of them, are more of a mix Probably some really good PvPers, but also significant characters invested in the industry and and things like that. Yeah. But a fascinating conflict. You want to see more of this in Eve. Like this is exactly the kind of conflicts that make Nullsec extremely fun. And obviously, it's not going to be fun for slow children to play because they're losing all their stuff. But a a five hundred man alliance versus a five hundred man alliance or a small coalition of 1,500-ish pilots versus another coalition of 1,500 to 2,000 pilots. 
but that's that's perfect. Like you're not talking gigantic super cap blobs. You can actually use small numbers of cap ships and have it be fun. You could even do proper dread brawls without worrying that you're going to get tightened to death. You would hope to see these kinds of skirmishes in multiple corners of the game at some point. Absolutely, and like I say, I think it'd be nice if you know setting up and living in a constellation. Uh, was perhaps something that you could pop up and do for a short period without having to, you know, worry about being there for nine months to get a return on your on your investment or something like that. Um, personally, I don't know how long it would take, you know, an alliance of that size to, you know, pay for Fortazars and Astra Houses and whatever jump bridges they've got, uh, you know, the iHubs and all the rest of it. But um, I, I imagine it's not the most lucrative thing you could do. It's just not anymore. I mean, you can still make a ton of money as an individual, and you can set up ways for your alliance to be making money, but it's definitely not the R64 glory days down there. Uh, You've really got to put a lot of more work into it, a lot more administrative overhead to be making money as an alliance from it. Uh, Corporations can still get taxes pretty well from ratting, so that's kind of a always going to be there, but even Nelsic ratting is per hour wise for individual pilots. It's good. It's still not as great as running high tier abyssals or some other ways that you can make money in the game. So it's just not as attractive as it used to be, unless you're running it at the highest possible end of that gameplay, like min maxed capital and, and you know, doing some tricks to run them really fast. For most people running it in a hack or a battleship or something like that, you're not noticeably outclassing some of the other ways to make money, which are considerably lower risk and don't require all of this group infrastructure to invest in. And indeed, somebody will just come along perhaps and um, come through a wormhole and take your half of what you've earned from the ESS, right? <laughs> yeah, good, good day. <laughs> Honestly, the ESS has been a the reworked ESS has been a fantastic change. I think most people would agree. I think it's fantastic, and I think it gives the opportunity to make n- Sovnal, uh, Ratin, and other sort of ISK generating things you can do. Um, there's a lever you could tweak there to make that more interesting. I think, and for example, you know. You could increase the bounties in um, Sovnel, but you could also then make sure that that extra ISK is initially going to go into the ESS uh, to make the ESS, you know, more appealing to to Rob. Um, But then at the same time, you know, the benefit of the defender, if they defend or if they they don't get attacked on the ESS, is they end up with more ISK in the the end. I think that would be a nice little tweak that could be made. as well as maybe add in some other things that could go into the ESS pool. Uh, you know, if people do other things in that space, perhaps that could contribute to the ESS pool as well. I think it would be a lot of fun if um, going out and, and robbing the ESS was more lucrative uh, for, and, and that mechanic also meant, meant that it was more lucrative for the people to, um, to exist there and to defend it. Uh, you know, we talked a lot last week about, uh, making people spread out more 
in NullSec and making it so that, you know, you couldn't just project from one central sort of mega city, as Leif was saying, you know, um, to whatever in your space. Uh, the ESS mechanic, I think, is interesting because if you get in there soon uh, after arriving in somebody's space, then they're probably not going to be able to get uh, their, their, you know, marauders and everything through all those jump bridges anyway. Um, but, you know, if it's only going to be for like 40 mil, then, you know, what, what's, the, what's the robber's incentive, really? I mean, most ESSs you find range between the 40 and 100 mil kind of mark. Um, I think it'd be... You'd see a lot more people out there robbing them if they were double that. Yeah, definitely agree there. And I think offering the NullSec guys a greater reward for that greater ESS investment and probably you would assume the time it would take to defend it more, I think that's appropriate. So if, if everything goes well and either no one comes in or they defend it successfully, they get a bigger payout than they otherwise would under the current payment. Sounds great to me. But they're not the only groups under pressure right now. We've got some updates from HiSec, a place we don't normally discuss on the show terribly much. Um, recently, Network was hit with some war decks, Black Flag, SRS, and Wrecking Machine. They came for a Valor market hub that one of our partner corps runs, Horngry. It's mostly aimed at supporting the local Galenti militia, that's adjacent to... Nullsec, or excuse me, Losec. We do have a Losec market as well, but you know how people are. Some of them just don't want to go in. So there's a high sec equivalent as well. It came under fire apparently as part of a larger push from Black Flag and SRS, Wrecking Machine, and the other War Deck groups to purge uh, all high sec trade hubs that they're not affiliated with. Um, we believe that they're affiliated with Pandemic Hordes Initiative. But speaking of initiatives, Init decided, that's not working for me, brother. <laughs> and shortly after Valor was hit and our hub was destroyed, we got a notification that the war deck from Black Black has been dropped. We're like, oh, that's weird. Why is that? Their war headquarters had been destroyed by a massive fleet of like 200 initiative Kikimoras. Init had received the pleas, allegedly. <laughs> Of a, a local high sec guy, uh, Lack Machina. Lock Machina? I assume Lock Machina. That sounds cooler. Lock Machina. And I've got mails from this guy too, basically pleading, hey, I've been war decked by Black Flag. Please kill their war headquarters for me. Which we don't have the numbers to do, especially against Black Flag's fleets. But in it does. And in it did. And they're not done. Uh, they've also offensively war-decked multiple groups that are involved in this initiative as well. And it looks like they are going to go around smacking down Pocos and smacking down War Headquarters, really putting the screws to what has become a kind of high-sec war-deck cartel. Well, I wonder what the locals think of uh, Black Flag being under fire from the initiative. Uh I imagine people are quite uh, upset about this, you know? Couldn't happen to a nicer group of multiple. Indeed. <laughs> uh, Black Flag, we haven't talked about them on the show in a very, very long time, but they have grown quite a bit. They've gotten their multi-boxing to the point where their multi-boxing fleet 
effectively consists of 40, 50 Lashaks, Paladins, Vargers, whatever they want. And it's it's well supported with logistics. We tried to catch them moving around, see if we could snag a latecomer on a gate or something like that. It was a no-go. And they've got Zarms, all that stuff. So it's very difficult to engage. SRS is kind of like that, but a bit smaller. Wrecking Machine we didn't see too much of. Um, but yeah, there are... They're legit now. Uh, they've really invested into their model and gotten their characters to the point where they can fly all these ships and they've gotten enough funding from the TTT and their involvement with that to basically put them in whatever they want. So they have effectively an uncontested hold on HiSec. They're able to destroy any HiSec structure they want and very few groups, I would have said no groups, <laughs> Would uh would actually go after them, but in it is proving me wrong here by taking the fight to them and taking out these headquarters. For those who aren't familiar with the mechanic, destruction of the war headquarter will drop all war decks affiliated with that structure and prevent them from being reissued for two weeks. It's it's uh, interesting that you know initiative. Of course, they have the numbers. Of course, they have the pilots and the financial ability to go after Black Flag and HiSec. Um, previously, I'm sure I heard that Dark Shines wanted to do something like this at the beginning of the year, but the TTT agreement kind of was a bit of a thorn in the side at the time, and there might have been some link between this sort of, you know, inability then to aggress Black Flag. Um with the initiative wanting to drop out of the TTT agreement. And uh, I imagine Dark Shines has been, you know, looking forward to the day that he had an excuse to go after Black Flag and Isaac, even if it is just for the uh, for the sake of it, right? Yeah, I, I one of my sources has effectively confirmed this has been in the works for a little while, if not actually planning, sort of the sentiment behind it, a feeling of, not really liking Black Flag and Co. very much, but being unable to do anything about it until now. I don't know if this is a planned campaign or if they just was like, oh yeah, we wanted to do this for a while. Seems like a good time. Either way, though, this has been brewing for a bit, and I think Inid is happy to give Black Flag a bit of a black eye. Yeah, I think it's an opportunistic uh, thing, right? I mean, they just sent a bunch of kikis and said, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Apparently not much, because they didn't form a strong defense that just rolled over and died. Now, that said, that was just an Astra house. There are Fortazar headquarters, Fortazar war headquarters, for SRS in particular in Ashab. Uh, remains to be seen if Init will go through and cross that mountain. That's going to be a much harder mountain to climb in high sec. You've got multiple timers. You've got... Um, you know, the increased Fortazar defenses and hit points. You don't have any capitals to bring to bear. Now, 200 Kikimoras is still 200 Kikimoras. It's going to be really, really hard to stand against that, uh, especially without, you know, without cap ships on the defender side either. They're not going to have the hit points necessarily to tank that. But 
and it's going to have to show commitment on that front. It's not going to be as easy as a two-timer knockover of a small structure. Fortizar is going to be a little bloodier. It's going to require them to do three ops for it. We'll see what happens. Thing is, you know, initiative can bring Lashax. Yep. It doesn't have to bring Kiki Boris. <laughs> yeah, they can basically bring whatever they want. They are they are a S tier Nullsec Alliance. But getting them getting their pilots to care about high sec has to be hard in the first place, you'd have to imagine. So getting them to spend effectively a week of their time knocking over structures, that might be hard. Indeed, but again, you know, a group like Initiative, they could just be like, right, we've staged, you know, 100 Lashaks, 30 Nesters, all the other stuff in the system. Just log in, just get in, buy off contract, get in the fleet. Come on, let's go. It's just, it's not that much of an inconvenience for them. And, you know, their members, they they used to just logging in to do a structure bash, right? Uh, there's lots of other things they do, but they're certainly not shy when it comes to um, shooting things that, that don't move. Well, I, we'll keep an eye on it. And as the story develops, if it indeed does develop further, we'll definitely bring you an update on the next episode. Zero, what's your host highlight? What have you been up to lately? So I'll just mention what I've been up to the most most recently, and that's in, in Poshven. We've um, I've been following Luca and his uh, quest to uh, you know contest in 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 the Poshven sites, right? And um, we've been kind of moving up the chain of of doctrines that uh, that you could do NPSI, which is a bit of a weird one, right? You don't get many NPSI Poshven observatory flashpoint fleets um not that i'm aware of anyway um so it's been an interesting thing trying to get that off the ground um we've now become oversubscribed uh just recently and we've now also managed to get like up in the in sort of the doctrines uh oversubscribed what does that mean in this case that the most recent npsi we ran we had to stop people joining after three minutes of form-up Wow. Yeah. So, and then when we did that, we said, right, okay, uh, you know, type your, you know, logi cruiser skill um, level in fleet chat. And of all the logi cruisers we had, all of them were five bar one. And we were like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. You know, we really are, uh, <laughs> we really are able to contest things. But um, yeah, it's been interesting. The, the first iteration, um, I just kind of have to refresh my memory, right? Because I, I feel like it's been long enough now that I can actually start to talk about, you know, what, what we've been, what Luke has been developing and trying. Um, I just got to remind myself, like, okay, so the first thing we did, right, was um, we definitely tried to scare off some of the large groups that were just sort of taking marauders around and just, just sort of um, with impunity, able to just go from site to site travel around Poshven, not worry about any anybody contesting them. And with the uh, exec Navy issue, uh, Luca was able to successfully, you know, gank several of these um, marauder fleets by essentially cloaking inside the site. Um, so we would just get in before they knew we were there. And we would just um, 
wait for them to warp in <laughs> and all the, the stuff would land and we would just use the exec navy issue dps with blasters uh and ab's just to sort of wipe out as much as we could uh it was a suicide mission but it was a very isk positive suicide mission and um, we were we were killing like 10 billion isk worth of stuff uh, and yeah well put it this way the meta changed pretty quickly um they, they these large groups stopped bringing so many uh expensive fleets into poshven and they started using things like ishtars so uh yeah classic nelsecker spots so then we we tried uh, uh luca came up with a a fleet that um could do the the sites and also potentially pvp uh but was also not alpha friendly but um npsi friendly right so we're talking about people who not don't necessarily have more than you know 25 million skill points or something and still we wanted them to be able to join so we tried the drekovax and the Drekovax were able to do the sites. They were able to tank the sites. They were able to do some PvP, but they couldn't stand up to the Ishtars. Sadly, the Ishtar is a very, very powerful ship when um, when drone assist is used. And, you know, all those heavy drones, you know, you're trying to go toe-to-toe with these Ishtar fleets, right? You're not trying to kite away. You're not trying to run away from the heavy drones. You're trying to stand and fight. And with those heavy drones, the T2 heavy drones, they can just you know, wipe through um, even the Guardians and things pretty quickly. And it's really hard to tank those. Um, you don't really want to lose anything on these fleets. So it was just too difficult, right? So so, so the Drex, they just didn't quite have um, the DPS uh, and everything else. So they, overall, they just weren't really sort of doing it. And, and the sites were taking far too long to complete. So um, then Luca moved on to the, to the Prophecy Navy, which is an excellent uh, ship. Um, and the Prophecy Navy much better at um, being able to do the sites more quickly and also, uh, I think, just generally a bit more um, in terms of that DPS and stuff that you could apply. It generally just worked better. Um, but again, still, you know, still struggling to contest with certain high SP uh, Ishtar fleets and things. So uh, I won't reveal the final piece of the puzzle just yet because... It's still, you know, a work in progress, but we've moved on to bigger and better things. And it's still not alpha friendly, like I say, necessarily, but certainly it's friendly to newer people. Um, and yeah, the sites are now much quicker to run. The sites are also contestable, so we can get in there and actually contest. Uh, the problem is now that we've attracted a little bit too much attention and people have started to pay too much attention to us and try to counter us and stop us from moving around posture. And so to be continued, uh, we'll see what happens next. But the other thing I've been doing is more stuff with EV University and just trying to sort of um, round off the FC team relaunch with spending some of that OzISK on PvP ships and things, um, trying to get a bit more organized around the NOSEC campus. We've managed to... Um, Hit off uh, some some of the aggressive structures that were deployed there. Alec, you, you saw some of that action, right? I did indeed. Would miss it. And you saw those uh, Eve University fleets we were forming up. They were um, they looked fun, right, for a new player. I hope. I think when you, you looked at them, I think you made a comment of towards the positive. I think they looked. So we got hired to help with Eve University's defense 
some number of episodes ago. I, I don't remember the exact show number, but it was a while ago. The difference in the number and level of organization and standardization from the EVNE fleets I saw during that campaign to the attacking campaign, night and day. So I think you guys are definitely in the right direction. You just need to get those thoraxes into executor navies and you're on the road to success, I think. Oh, I know, right? I mean, talking about exec navies, we were trying to run Poshman stuff yesterday and Spectrefleet brought in a ridiculous amount of exec navies. I think we, we counted something like 50 at one point. Oh, They're they, terrorists, man. Oh, they just, they are just insane DPS. The tank is so bad, though. I lost two of them in like an hour earlier today trying to bait. I wasn't even baiting against huge fleets. We're talking like four or five people. I died before Lodgy arrived. Uh, just they're, they're not for that. You need to ha- come in together. It needs to be Lodgy on field. It can mitigate a lot of damage with the afterburner, but man, <laughs> I'm not used to flying something so thin in a fleet fighting environment. Good times, though, and, and absolutely worth every piece of ISK zero. So I know it's a bit of a price jump from Thorax's, but the performance increase, I think you would notice it. Absolutely. It's something we've thought about and discussed internally. And I've said, you know, it would be great if members who can afford it, especially if they do a bit of gal mill, uh, faction warfare, they can definitely afford it. Um, those who can't afford it, if they can do that straight upgrade, because the thorax has been lovely to uh, get people in, you know, a bit of brawling for a change. But at the same time, you know, the exact Navy, you can tank it better than the thorax and have more DPS. So, you know, even though it's faster. Yeah. I mean, it's everything. Everything's just better. Right. And it's, it's only what double. Well, no, I guess triple the price tag for the hull. But the fit is around the same. So you're talking, what, 40 mil extra or something like that? That's so worth it, dude. I'm sure you could find certain Galenti militia alliances with a lot of LP that they want to unload very quickly. It would probably help you out with getting some BPCs. Mm, Yeah, do a (laughs) bit of a deal. Yes, yes. A certain co-host you have has over 9 million unused (laughs) Galenti LP. I'm sure we could come to some arrangement, darling. I'll launder as many as you want. Speaking of Faction Warfare, though, my highlight is from Faction Warfare, and it's a very, very small-scale story, but I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, We've been trying to press the system called Devon. Not very hard. It's not a contract. It's just like, hey, if we all have to focus on something, say someone new joins up and asks, hey, where should I be? It's Devon at the minute. I've been trying to do some late night stuff, basically make sure I'm doing a Plex a day effectively if I haven't been able to log in earlier. So we're talking like 0800-ish Eve time, really late, right? For a U.S. person anyway. (laughs) And I'm out. I've been trying faction destroyers a lot. I've been absolutely loving them. I think it's my niche versus the faction frigate. Uh, Basically all four of the new of the new faction destroyers are fantastic. I've been using the Kaldari one. I've been using the Amar one. The Mimitar one I, I put off for a while, but I've seen some hype videos for it, so I wanted to try it. That's pretty cool. 
Um, it's basically a pocket exec navy, which is pretty crazy. Um, and of course, the Catalyst Navy. I think it's probably one of the best small gang ships to solo around in, pound for pound. So I was out in my corn, and I had a guy warp in on me with a Fed Navy Comet. This doesn't seem like a very fair matchup, but if the Navy Comet can actually get into range on the Cormorant, it actually does work out for them because of the DPS difference. And they, they also tank pretty well. So it was my Corm Navy versus his Fed Navy Comet. It was a great fight. I did manage to beat him, required some ammo switching, but it worked out. The guy's name was Chief Mohican. So I got that win. I was like, okay, cool, cool. I'm trying to loot, repair modules. I pick him up on another Fed Navy Comet, warping into my sight. I'm like, oh man, I can't, I can't run this fight twice. There's no way. I'm too, too messed up. So I have to go dock and repair. Undock, come out, head back to the site. He's still there, and we brawl again. And this time it's another close one, but I come out on top. He does better. And the third time, I'm like, all right. I see him with the comet again. There's no way he's going to have the same fit. He's going to do something, and it's going to like be perfectly tailored to beating the Navy Comet because he came pretty close the last time. Excuse me, the uh, the Navy Cormorant, not Comet. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch it up. So I swap from the Corm to the Catalyst Navy, which is. Basically, everything the Fed Navy Comet does just a little bit better, except for the speed. I said, all right, cool. I'll just do this one straight up. He'll definitely take this fight because he's fought me twice before. It won't be the Cormorant, so it'll hopefully throw off whatever game plan he had a little bit, and I'll beat him. No! <laughs> he out-mind-gamed me. I would have been better off sticking with the Corm. Oh. He reshipped into a rail Comet with a fit such that he could kite just outside of range. And if I was in the Cormorant with null ammo, I still would have been able to hit him, and I probably would have out-DPSed him. But because I had second-guessed myself so much, I was now in the point-blank range, can't fight a kiter at all, Catalyst Navy. And he ground me down. I was I was kicking myself. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm looking at these on Z-Kill now, and um, each one of these solo kills against uh, the Fed Navy Comet were worth 14 points. Uh, quite impressive. Uh, his kill on me was worth 5 points. I still don't understand the Z-Kill point system, but <laughs> uh, I look at ISK, and I believe I came out ahead. Yeah, just barely. But it, just a real shout-out to that guy. I've seen him around the war zone since then a couple times. He doesn't speak much English, but he's very nice. And I really respect his piloting skill for taking a frigate against the destroyer in the way that he did. And again, nearly took me out on both of the corn fights. It was very, 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 very close, like structure each time. Uh, that cat, I was like, all right, he'll go against the catalyst. He's not going to have any hope of beating this catalyst. Ah, no, he did. He did. Uh, so, GG, man. Congrats, Chief Mohegan. And, yeah, that's the kind of fun you can have in the war zone. It's everything. It's, it's small 
one-on-one or 2v2 type fights, or you can get some of your bigger 20 to 50 sized fights. Sometimes even bigger than that every once in a while. It feels like once a month we have a huge 50-person brawl. 50v50, I should say. But yeah, it's been good. And major props to the Chief. Also major props to our sponsors, our Golden Elite supporters, Fade Atreides, Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, Tang Tengu, and Tweak, our stalwart support. Thank you very much for your continued uh, financial support for the show, really helping us out as uh, hosting costs have definitely gone up. Had to renew some stuff. So much appreciated, guys. And if you want to get in on supporting our Patreon getting access to the Golden Elite, hearing yourself shouted out on the show, or if you just want access to the Declarations of War Discord where the hosts and guests hang out, check out patreon.com slash D-O-W. And for my regular shout-out, i got to give a shout-out to Kun Jong, who we fell off the face of the earth a couple of years ago. We had no idea what happened to him. Um, there was even a thought maybe he had died from COVID or something like that. He is fine and reached out to me the other day and has actually been playing with us quite a bit the past couple days. It has been so nice to see him again. We, he was a very, very valued member of NOR for a long time, and I'm really glad that he's back. So I, uh, I was logged in the other day, and I, I took you know a break from the computer for five, ten minutes. I went to do something. I came back, and I had a conversation request from KJ. Um, so I, I quickly said yes, and then uh, he logged off. So I just sent him a quick mail saying, hey. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised to have that little pop-up from KJ and uh, definitely want to shout out KJ too. Uh, and as well as that, um, Terran Feynor, who is a character in EVE University, who's been helping the FC team stuff, out and is now deciding to move on, which is kind of what you want from Eve University, right? People do valuable things there. They do awesome stuff, but then they move on because that's kind of the point of Eve Uni. If you want it to be that, some people stay uh, or some people go away and they come back. So Terran, whatever you're up to, whatever you're going to do next, good luck with it. Um, You've been very helpful and an extremely valued member of that effort. Ah, Cheers, Terran. Well, that's it, guys. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in this show's poll. Check out our YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash K for show clips and other PvP videos. Really great playlists on that channel if you want to check out some videos from NAR. Reminder that NAR recruitment is on, and we are pushing NA really, really hard. We're also on the NPSI train. We're having regular NPSI fleets every Wednesday now, specifically uh, to give pilots that are prospective nor academy recruits an opportunity to get to know us better and for us to get to know them. But everyone is welcome. So check that out on mpsi.fun and check out uh, basically any of the places you might find our links, Cafe Nor. the Declarations of War website. We want to have you guys joining our Discord, checking out the Corp, throw in an application if you want to be part of the content that you hear on this broadcast. And wherever you are and whoever you're flying with, good hunting listeners.